Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. On today's show, we are going to cover a very interesting and fun area and that is stand-up comedy. So for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with stand-up comedy, stand-up comedy refers to when a comedian performs live in front of an audience. So the size of the audience can vary from as few as just a couple of people to as many as thousands and thousands of people. And of course, that depends on how famous you are as a comedian. But as an audience member, a stand-up comedy show can actually be a lot of fun to attend. You go there with a few of your friends or family members, you get some drinks, you get some food, and you have a lot of laughs. So it's a lot of fun. But imagine what it must be like from the point of view of the comedian. He or she has to perform live in front of an audience. And so what that means is that the comedian has to deliver jokes live and it is then up to the audience whether they decide to laugh at those jokes or not. So it can be a fairly nerve-wracking experience. And on today's show, we'll really be getting into what goes on behind the scenes. How do comedians handle all kinds of situations? How do they prepare their material? And what is required to be successful as a stand-up comedian? So let me introduce our guest on today's show then. Her name is Shireen Qasim. And Shireen is a female Muslim comedian. In fact, she describes herself as funny brown girl. Yes, a funny brown girl because, well, that's exactly who she is. She is funny, she is brown, and she's a girl. You can check out her website at funnybrowngirl.com where you can see videos from her past performances as well as her upcoming performances. And if you listen to her performance, what you'll find is that a lot of her content is focused on her relationship with her Muslim parents and it also draws upon her dating experiences from the past. So uh, let me quickly play a short clip from one of her recent performances where you can hear what Shireen is like when she's performing. So my parents are Muslim um, and they have one dream for me, that's to get married. Problem is, is that Muslim men hate me because I speak. to rock like the Matrix. So that was Shireen, extremely talented, very, very impressive. And Shireen has already achieved a fair amount in her career as a comedian. She won the 2015 Orlando Clash of the Comics contest. And she has also performed alongside many national headlines in many comedy clubs around the United States, such as the Helium Comedy Club and the Laugh House in Philadelphia in the U.S. 
So on today's show, we'll be learning a lot from really what is it like to work as a stand-up comedian? How do they prepare their material? Uh, before we get into the discussion, I'd like to emphasize one point, which is that whenever we talk about these kind of professions, which are relatively less established, relatively less structured compared to the more traditional careers such as consulting or medicine or finance, there is no clearly well-defined path that you can take to sort of establish yourself in these fields. And so what that means is that let's say you want to become a consultant or you want to become a doctor. It's, it's hard to do. But it is known what you have to do in order to make it. You have to go to business school or you have to go to medical school. You take certain exams. Then you have to apply for these various firms. You interview there. And then you work hard and try and make yourself in these fields. But in careers such as stand-up comedy, there is no well-defined path. You are the owner of your career and you have to define your path for yourself. There is no right or wrong way of doing things. And so what that means is your path is much more ambiguous and it also usually takes a longer period of time to establish yourself in these fields. And also many artists, when they are relatively early in their careers, many of them in fact juggle multiple jobs before they can rely solely on their art for the rest of their lives. And that is the case uh, for Shireen too. She, with her background in economics from Brown University and an MBA from Wharton, she right now has a great job at Walt Disney as a business development manager. But her ultimate passion lies in comedy. And so what that means is that right now she goes for acting classes when she gets off from work. And these extend late into the night. And she performs in various places through the week as well as on weekends. So you can imagine just how hard and hectic her life must be right now. But that is the kind of hard work you need to put in if you want to establish yourself in these kind of relatively less traditional fields. But what that also means is that if you have the passion for it, that hard work will pay off. And when it does pay off, it can be extremely, extremely rewarding. More than anything, you get to work on what you love. And financially also, it can be very rewarding. So without further ado, let's switch over to Shireen. And I really hope that you enjoy today's show. Hey, Shireen, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Sonali. Yeah, of course. Uh, I just cannot imagine how hectic your life must be right now. So thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> like, do you have any performances scheduled for this weekend? Uh, I do. I have a Valentine's Day show coming up tonight, and then I have a few shows this week. So oh, awesome. I definitely do keep busy. That's awesome. So do you have, what is your uh, focus going to be on tonight's show? Uh, tonight's show, it'll probably be about the same material I usually do. I do a lot of material about dating um, and communication, so... I'll definitely do some of that. I'll talk to the audience a little bit since it is Valentine's Day and kind of bring out the love and understanding of why they're together and why they're celebrating today and just make it a really nice night for them because at the end of the day, it is my job to make sure that they have a, the audience has a great time. Yep, yep, yep. No, I mean, I'm really looking forward to today's discussion. So first of all, I really like your comedy. And I'm also looking forward to today's discussion because I guess for a long time, I was just ignorant about stand-up comedy 
partly because well i guess i was just <laughs> ignorant but also because i think i grew up in india so uh, stand up comedy i think as a culture just wasn't so prevalent for a long time i think it has started to come up now but in the us i think it's fairly prevalent and especially now with netflix there are so many shows kevin hart amy schumer i mean do you think that there's been sort of a resurgence of interest in stand up comedy lately or maybe it's just me i don't know no i totally agree with you i i definitely agree that in india there has been a renaissance lately where comedy is starting to make its way into the culture there there from what i've heard i haven't i haven't been to the clubs there but i've heard that there's multiple clubs opening up in bombay and delhi and i know in a I know there was an Indian comic from India on Last Comic Standing a few years ago and I think that really helped um mm-hmm. push it. But I would say that comedy is coming back alive and I think yeah. a lot of it's because there's so many clubs opening but also because people are being they're getting the opportunity to view it on Netflix. Netflix is coming out with specials all the time. Right. HBO has specials, Showtime has specials and so it's it's everywhere and people can't people can't ignore it. Yeah, yeah, so I guess good time to be in this field, right? Um, well, yes and no, I guess. Yes. It's also very competitive right now. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what we're going to learn about, right? So, anyway, so why don't we start out with you telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey so far? Sure. So, you covered most of it. I I went through this the immigrant child's, you know, normal path. I was told I could either be a doctor, a lawyer, or a businesswoman. <laughs> so, I went to school, got my degree, got my masters, and then I realized um I was missing something in my life and I actually just like you I actually never never really knew about stand up comedy it was not something that my parents ever introduced me to or that I was ever introduced to mm-hmm. and I ended up at a comedy club one night it was an amateur comedy show there was 10 guys on stage doing about 5 minutes each and I remember after the show one of my friends looked at me and she said you could do that and <laughs> and it was her saying you could do that that made me actually open my eyes and think you know what that that would be kind of fun to try it out and so After the show, I walked up to the host and started talking to the host of the show, and she gave me all the information I needed on how do you become a stand-up comedian. And from there, I've never been happier. That that's a, that's an amazing story. I mean, so were, did you sort of have this sense of humor from the beginning? Did you like performing from a very young age? As in, connect the dots for us in terms of you know maybe some instances that may have happened when you were still young. and then finally that time when you were you know watching this show and you thought hey i think i can do this you know there isn't that much uh, science behind it i actually hated public speaking growing up my uh, i remember in high school my debate coach or not my debate coach art we had to take debate class and the debate teacher always used to try to convince me to join the debate team and i would flatly refuse because i <laughs> did not want to be up in front of people talking i had the the worst stage fright ever oh. even through college even when i was in consulting and i had to present to right. clients i i used to hate getting up there and doing it um but there was just something about sitting in that room and listening to these people tell jokes and they had the whole audience in their hands listening to them and they could speak about whatever they wanted to speak about and this was around the time when um this was after this was definitely after 2001 and after there was just all the stigmatism about being muslim in america and i just thought oh, this would be a yeah. great place to kind of talk about my feelings and talk about how i view the world and have people listen to me and that it just kind of stemmed from there like did, did were you ever nervous uh, especially when you were one because this was being on stage was clearly something that you hadn't been comfortable with as such 
and two because you were touching upon topics which were sort of you know controversial like being a muslim oh yeah definitely i mean i still get nervous like i'm still i'm i'm already getting nervous about tonight's show because you never know what you're going to get you never know how many people are going to show up what kind of people are going to show up are they even interested in listening to you people have so many biases when they come to comedy shows that there's always a reason to be nervous and so i mean i definitely was nervous when i first started and i'm still nervous today yeah so i i think we're going to get to this later in the discussion because i think it'll be very interesting to know how you sort of mentally prepare yourself to perform in front of so many people but before we get into that why don't you describe for us in your own words the job of a stand up comedian sure definitely so for one i wouldn't i wouldn't call it a job i don't think anyone should go into stand up comedy thinking it's a job it definitely has to be a passion because there's a lot of hard work that goes into comedy like you had mentioned earlier you can't go and get a degree like a law degree or doctorate and then be offered a job this is definitely something that you have to do on your own it's it's very much your own business and your own brand that you're trying to build so there's a lot of different aspects of doing stand up comedy first is of obviously is writing the material you need to write funny stuff or you're just not going to enjoy doing stand up comedy cuz no one's going to laugh at you and that's that's a really <laughs> bad feeling Um, so definitely, you have to write material. Then you have to go to open mics. Open mics are unpaid shows that happen almost every night in Orlando. You can go to an open mic every night of the week on Sundays. We have three or four of them actually, and you just go there and you try out your material. And those are those can be pretty hard because one, there's not a lot of audience members. It's a lot of comics that you're performing for, and two, they run late into the night. So they start at about nine o'clock at night and they go until midnight. So if you have a day job, it can get very tiring. Mm. You then you have to build your brand. You have to make yourself known to the public. You have to make promoters know who you are and clubs know you who you are if you want to get stage time. Um and so that takes a lot of work as well the networking part. But once you really get into it and if you really love it, the payout is amazing. I mean, when I perform for a sold out audience and you hear that audience roar with laughter, it definitely makes all the hard work yeah. worth it. Um because it's it's what you put in is what you get out in this job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so I mean literally I guess from what you're describing, you are the sole owner of of a business. Like you think of it as a business and you have to do oh, all of it. Oh, I definitely do. Yes. Yeah. I definitely think of it as a business and I definitely do everything I can to protect my brand and what I'm trying to put out there. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go through each of these elements that you described one by one. So the first most important thing is just writing your material, right? So I would love to understand how you go about getting your material and also like how you've chosen the elements that you've decided to focus on which is, you know, being a woman, being Muslim, dating. How did you decide how to differentiate yourself? Sure. The writing can be very complicated. I will admit that. I There's different ways people decide to write their material. Some people sit down every day diligently and write from 1 hour to 3 hours a day and they just write. Some people get their material just from day-to-day conversations. Other people the jokes just sort of come to them in their sleep. Um <laughs> I'd say I'm a mix of all three. I I write as much as I can cuz I have a really bad memory, so I try to write down anything that happens to me. Um and then sometimes it's just like an incident will happen and then I'll be able to make that into a joke. Mm. Like, um, do you have like your antennas your question, up all the time? For me, when I first started doing comedy, I actually, I actually focused a lot on on my parents and being an immigrant to the United States, and I talked a lot about ethnic humor. And as I continued to do comedy, I realized the world was changing around me, um, and people were not as accepting to that kind of humor, um, especially because they kind of felt 
there was times when I would say I was Muslim and I could tell the audience was taken aback and it was too much for them. It was kind of like a hard blow to them and they didn't know how to react. So then I started saying, okay, I'm going to go a little bit more mainstream with my comedy. And I started talking a lot about dating and the incidences that I've had when I've been dating or on first dates and how awkward they can be. And I realized that I was making more of a connection with the audience. But at the same time, I felt that I was not being true to my real self by talking about who I really am. And so now I kind of intertwine them where I'll talk about dating. I'll make sure that the audience is with me, that they like me, that they're they're listening to every word that I'm saying. And then at the end, I'll kind of throw it in there like, hey, I'm Muslim. Look, we're all the same people. I like to go out. I like to have fun. There's nothing different about me just because I'm Muslim. And the, the idea is just really breaking down stereotypes of what people think Muslim people are, because a lot of them have never met a Muslim person. Like I'm their first, I'm their first Muslim person they've met. And so it's really cool to be able to break down those stereotypes. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So like, have you had instances where audience members now react well, like from what you're describing, you go through the act, pretty much like a big chunk of your act where you're establishing that connection with the audience and making sure that they love you for what you're doing. And then you say, oh, FYI, I'm Muslim. So, but uh, by then, I guess they're sort of already warmed up to you. So how does that go down now? And can you share stories of how the audience members maybe, you know, say something to you later on, maybe after the, like show their appreciation? Yeah, sure. So I've definitely, I've had two incidences actually where after the show I've had, I've had a woman, both times a woman came up to me and one time the woman was just like, are you, she asked me, it was really funny. She goes, are you really Muslim? And I was like, yeah, why, why did you think I was making it up? And she goes, no, I just think it's so cool. I've never met a Muslim person. You're not what I expected. Like I, I had a different image in my head of what a Muslim woman would look like. Mm. And you, I could tell that she had this image in her head from the media and it was really cool to be talking to her and saying, hey, look, I'm just like you. I like to go out. I'm at a comedy show. I can talk about myself on stage. Like, there's nothing about us that makes us different. We're Americans at the end of the day. Hmm. And so that was really cool. But at the same time, I've definitely had bad experiences, too. Um, the weekend after the – I forget when Donald Trump said it. I, there was an incident that happened, the San Bernardino shootings. Oh. And then Donald Trump said – all the Muslims should be kicked out of America or there should right. be no more Muslims allowed in America or something to that degree. And the climate changed and I was doing a show and I said I was Muslim and somebody booed. And that was the first time that I'd ever had a negative reaction to saying that I was Muslim. And oh, I can wow. tell you that that was probably the worst moment on stage for me. I felt like I was just naked on stage. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I froze. I literally froze and I got off stage and it was just like, I can't believe somebody booed, but that's just the way our climate is changing today. And I just have to be stronger when I get on stage to be able to yeah. address those, yeah. address those ignorant people. Yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you handle a situation like that on stage? Um, it's tricky. I mean, in that situation, I didn't handle it at all. I, because I froze and that was unprofessional on my part. But now that I know that that could happen in the, in the future, I'm, I'm more ready to kind of go at it like I could have said oh I guess Donald's in the Donald's in the audience tonight and like kind of try (laughs) to break the ice yeah or I could have addressed him and said hey why don't you tell me why you booed and kind of put him in a corner to kind of communicate with me and so that we could we could break it down together um but yeah I definitely could have handled it better yeah yeah no but you know you bring out a very interesting point which is that for a lot of people, stand-up comedy, you know, and again, speaking as a complete layman about this, is that you might think of the job as sort of like, oh, you know, you're just trying to be funny on stage. 
which is true. But then there's also this deeper layer where you're bringing out an important message, right? Because yes, you're saying stuff which is funny, but then you're bringing up, highlighting the fact that, hey, you know what? Muslims are just like everyone else or women are just like everyone else or whatever. So like, do you think that there's a deeper message which is part of your act and in general a part of a good comedy act? I would say so. I mean, there's definitely comics who don't have a deeper message or aren't trying to have a deeper message. They're just trying to be funny. Um, but then there are definitely comics like, I mean, Chris Rock does this amazing job at doing this. He's He's always out there making political jokes. He's always bringing light to what's happening in the media. He's always bringing light to Black Lives Matter. And so definitely some comics do go out there and try to have a political message. I definitely do try to have a political message because, and, I, and I'm not saying I'm trying to be all like, I'm pro-Muslim and I'm pro-Islam and I'm trying to p- get people to convert. But what I'm really trying to do is say, hey, being Muslim is a huge part of my life. And if you really like me as a comedian and you really like me right now on stage listening to me, I want you to still like me even though I tell you I'm Muslim. I don't want our relationship to change between comic and audience member. Right, right. So in your opinion, how would you describe the sort of essential elements of a good act? I think there's a I think there's three essential elements that you need to have. You definitely need to have great stage presence. I mean, when you get on stage, you've got to dominate. People are expecting you to go up there and be confident and know that the next 5, 10, 15 minutes that they're going to listen to you is worth it. So you definitely have to have that that confidence and air about yourself when you get on stage. You need to have good joke structure again. You want people to laugh. Like that's the, that's the goal of comedies to get people to laugh and to get people to laugh, you need to make sure your jokes are funny. And then I'd say the third essential element is being likable. Um, again, like I said, you're going on stage for anywhere from five minutes to an hour. You need to be likable. The audience wants to relate to you. The audience wants, the audience wants to root for you. At the end of the day, the audience is behind you, but you have to give them a reason to like you. And if you give them a reason not to like you, they will turn on you very fast. So it's definitely it's definitely a little bit of politics when you're on stage in that sense too, being able to read your audience and not not getting on their bad side. Right. How did you build your stage? Like, is is that something that you were always naturally good at, or did you have to work on it? Oh, um, how did I build my stage presence? I mean, I think that that definitely comes with practice, and that's why it's so important to go to open mics because open mics really help you help you in a lot of ways. It it helps you develop thick skin for sure. Like. As I said, open mics are where you go and you try out new material. And there's not a lot of audience members there. It's a lot of comics. And so a lot of comics, when we go to open mics, we don't listen to each other. I mean, it's we, we're all there to try out our own stuff. So we're all in our own heads trying to go over our own material. And so when you're on stage, no one's really listening to you. And so that really helps you build that stage presence because you have to power through that five minutes knowing no one's listening to you mm-hmm. and knowing that maybe no one's going to laugh at you. And people are just going to stare at you. And just continuing to do that day after day after day, you finally get to that point where you're just like, you know what? I don't care what you think. I know I'm funny and I'm going to do this. Oh, man, that sounds very tough, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it is. But you get used to it after a while. You just become immune to it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess you have to be as a comedian. Because especially when you're early on in your career, I'm sure you've had a good mix of very well-received very well received performances and then not so well received performances right oh yeah for sure i mean i still do that well received performances i mean so we'll get to it just like one thing on the writing right so you said that 
yeah you know different comedians have different styles some of them allocate one to three hours of writing every day and some of them might come up with jokes in their sleep so what is your do you have a system I try different things. A lot of my jokes just come to me just from day-to-day interactions with people, but I definitely do write as well because sometimes I'm so busy, like I'll have an incident that happens and I'll, I'll just need to write it down because if I don't, I'll forget about it. So like I just keep a running notebook. I carry a notebook with me wherever I go. I use Evernote. I send myself emails. I just keep a, a whole collection of different topics or ideas or just random interactions that I have with people written down. Right, right, right. And so a very important point you mentioned is how you need to have a good joke structure. Uh, That's an important element of a good act. So I'm sure like in the beginning, let's say some interesting incident happens and you send an email to yourself about it. How do you get to that good joke structure from that initial sort of seed of an idea? So it's really for me, it's finding what was funny about that incident. Like what about it? What about it makes me laugh? And then once I've been, once I can pull out what was the funny part about it, then it's kind of building backwards to it. How do I get to the funny part as quick, quickly as possible? Because like the incident could have taken like 10 minutes, right? But I'm not going to share the whole 10 minute story mm-hmm. with the audience. So how do I trim this down to about a minute, two minute joke, and I get to the crux of the joke immediately. And so it's, it's a process of working backwards and then making sure you're keeping the audience entertained throughout the story. Okay. So maybe can you share an example? Um, sure. So, okay. So I, like, for example, um, I got asked out on a date, right? And so I was all excited. I was going on this date with this dude and he sends me a text message and he says, Hey, can't wait to see you tonight. Let's meet at PF Chang's. Let's do 8.23 PM. So now in my head, I'm thinking, why does it have to be 8.23 PM? So I text him back saying, Hey, can we do it a little earlier, like eight o'clock? And he texted me back saying, I can't do eight o'clock, but I can do 723 if you can't do 823. So this, this is taking, this is like across the span of like two hours, right? And there's all these thoughts going through my head. I'm like, who is this kid? And like, why does he think that I have to be on his schedule? And I'm getting really agitated right now because I don't understand why he can't be flexible. So then I text him back and I'm like, can you just compromise? And he goes, I can but I can't change the bus schedule. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, the funny part is in the, in Orlando, everyone has a car. Like, it's not a city here. It's a suburb. I mean, just to get to the grocery store, I couldn't walk to the grocery store. I would die. I mean, <laughs> it's like a five-mile walk. Yeah. So it's just a funny joke in Orlando. It, it wouldn't work in Boston or New York where people don't have cars, but people have cars here. And so the funny part about it to me was, okay, he doesn't have a car. He didn't mention that to me. So... We're always going to have a date when there's when the bus schedule can kind of accommodate that date. The other funny part about it was, okay, so he'll never be able to come to my house because there's no bus stop by my house. <laughs> I mean, the closest bus stop I checked was like 4.4 miles away. Yeah. So like, and he has to change buses four times to get there. So it's like, the, oh, the joke well. is, the crux of the joke is, okay, he he's our dates are going to be around the bus schedule. Yeah. So now I got to work backwards to how do I get to that joke? And I also don't want to offend anyone in the audience who might not have a car as well. So I also have to be very delicate on how I deliver that joke. Right, 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 right. Okay. No, that 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 that's a great example. And and then, like, do you also have any sort of not rules, but some sort of a system around, you know, like how many words you use when you are delivering a joke? Like, because you know, the same joke, even if you deliver it, let's say, like a, a minute or two minutes the kind of words you use, how many or how less of words you use can have an impact on how, how good that joke is. So have you observed anything like that? 
Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I definitely, like, I would go and try this joke out at open mics, and I would have it long-winded. Mm -hmm. I kind of want to see where people are laughing and where people are losing interest. And then from there, I kind of write it out, and then I keep making it shorter and shorter and tighter and tighter. And definitely each word really matters. Like, what word do I use where makes a difference? And so I'll just keep trying different things out and seeing, okay, this worked, this didn't work. People got offended about me making fun of him this way, so I need to work. I need to rewrite it so it's not as it's not as offensive and it's making it's making because at the end of the day I'm not trying to make anyone upset right I'm just trying to make a joke about the idea of our dates are around a bus schedule I'm not making a joke that he doesn't have a car so you have to tweak it every word to make sure you're making that right you're getting that point across yeah yeah it's a fine line it's a fine line so then it sounds like a lot of your sort of getting to that final joke is it's a process and you're sort of fine-tuning based on the feedback you're getting in these open mics. Yes, for sure. Okay. Like, do you also have like a uh, like a trusted circle of friends or other comics who sort of, you know, you bounce ideas off of? I do not. And I mean, well, I have a circle of comics that I could bounce ideas off of. I'm just one of those people. I, I tend to work by myself. I'm an introvert. I like to just be by myself a lot and talk to myself a lot. So... <laughs> I don't tend to share my ideas or jokes with other people. I'm also, and this is, this is kind of true for some, a lot of comics. We're also very sensitive. And so we don't really like to hear other people's opinions as much. Um, <laughs> so I rather just go out there yeah. and flop versus someone close to me telling me, Oh, that's not right. funny. Right, 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 right. And, and so like, do you think that as a comic, you have to be, like, how, how do you figure out whether something is flopping or not flopping? Oh, you can tell very quickly. <laughs> um, so like for example like tonight when I get on stage like I'll know if I'm flopping the, the minute I'm 30 seconds into my set because you can tell do you have the audience's attention are they listening to you are they even looking at you did they chuckle wow. at your first joke I mean the first 30 seconds the first 30 seconds of your set will tell you how the rest of the show is going to go oh interesting interesting okay so I guess you can sort of see you know you know are they even paying attention to you or, the, or are they just busy talking to each other or eating their exactly. food exactly okay. Mm-hmm. okay okay so then coming to open mic so I guess and this is more to sort of help people who might be in the position of hey you know I want to try this out but that's it like they haven't really done anything about it yet so you, from what it sounds like, you started doing a lot of these open mics, which are basically free, but it's more f- as a way to sort of get you f- uh, familiar with performing on stage. So that is more of a free for all sort of thing, right? So from there, how did you actually go about building your brand and promoting it and getting gigs, that sort of thing? Sure. So it is important to go to the open mics and that's where you do a lot of your networking. So you'll meet all the other comics in your region or your city. And that's, that's the best place to start if you're trying to get more gigs because they're all there and they're all having, they're all there for the same purpose, right? They're all there to get to do more comedy and they're all sitting around drinking and having a good time. And you just need to insert yourself into that, into that group of people and start talking to them, understanding their story, talking to them, listening to their sets when they're on stage and it, it's just like any sort of business. You're there to network at the same time. And so I started going to these open mics, started talking to a lot of the comics. They started listening to me when I was on stage, found me funny. And then from there, they would say, hey, I'm doing this show this weekend or I'm doing this show during the week. Can you do it with me or do you want to come with me? And just from there, like you just continue to build yourself up and you kind of keep getting booked on more and more shows. 
And I mean, I got I got very lucky last year. I won the Clash of the Comics, the Orlando Improv. Right. So that allowed me then to get hosting spots at the Improv. So I got to open for John Henson, Carlos Mencia, Mike Kaplan. And then other people saw me from there, like in the audience, people saw me. And then they came up to me after the show. And then they asked me to do private events. So then I got booked on private shows. Oh, nice. And so every step is a stepping stone to something bigger. But you have to go out there and get it yourself. Like no one's going to give it to you. And that's the hard part about comedy is no one's going to hand you a client. No one's going to hand you a patient like at a doctor's office. You need to go out there and you need to find these things yourself and network yourself and push yourself to get to that next level. Right, right, right. When when you were offered all of these events, were all of them paid or were any of like, did you ever accept unpaid gigs? Oh, no, I'll say uh, I would say it's 50 50. I mean, I definitely do unpaid gigs as well. And I would say people should always take stage time. But there's a caveat to that. I mean, every all stage time is good stage time, but some stage time might not help your brand. And so you have to be very careful, like, who are you performing for? So for example, like, if I get asked to do a show, and it's unpaid, I'd want to make sure, okay, where is it located? Who's going to be there? Are there opportunities for me to get paid stage time out of doing this unpaid show? Mm. Am I going to grow as a comic by doing this unpaid show? Is the promoter taking advantage of me? So there's definitely different aspects of it that I, I examine before I take an unpaid show because you don't want to be taken advantage of. You don't want the promoter charging $30 at the door and then he's not paying you because at the end of the day, it's also your time and you're also an entertainer and you should get paid for your work. But for example, if it's an unpaid, if it's a free show, like, and it's a benefit and there's going to be all these sort of high rollers there. Sure. I'd go and do an unpaid show for a benefit because one, I'm giving back to the community, but two, I'm having the opportunity to sort of network with these other people who might have another show for me to do in the future. Interesting. Okay, no, that that's very helpful because you do have a sort of a rough framework in mind in terms of when to accept an unpaid gig. Um, so going back to your performance then in, in terms of just performing live on stage, walk us through what happens when a performance is coming up. Like, do you go over certain things in your mind? How, how do you sort of prepare yourself to ensure that your performance is a success? There's different different pieces. I One, I want to make sure, okay, who's going to be there? What kind of audience is it going to be? Are they going to be uh, liberals, conservatives? Are they going to be an older crowd, a younger crowd? Is it going to be a mixed crowd? Just try to understand what the audience is going to look like and feel like. Understand how much time you have to do. So in comedies, you could do anywhere between five minutes and an hour. And so making sure you know how much time you're supposed to do. Because the worst thing in comedy is to go over your time limit. That's the best way to make enemies because it means you're not respecting the stage and you're not respecting other comics' times. Mm -hmm. So if you're only supposed to do 10 minutes, make sure you stick to 10 minutes. And then from there, I kind of just put together my set list. And my set list is like the the jokes that I want to do that night. So, for example, tonight I'm doing 15 minutes. So I'll create a set list of about 10 to 12 jokes that will come up to 15 minutes and then – Throughout the day, I'll just repeat those jokes in my head to make sure that I know how I want them to be said tonight and in what order. Mm -hmm. Because order also makes a difference. Like I'll switch up the order depending on what the event is. And so just kind of making sure you're comfortable with what you're about to go and do. And then the last thing is just to have fun. I mean, that's the most important thing is have fun out there. Because if you're not having fun, then the audience is not going to have fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so generally when you have these events, the do they sort of give you a theme and then you work on around that theme? 
No, no. Usually it's, there's usually no theme. I mean, if you're doing a private event, sometimes they'll give you a theme or if you're doing a corporate gig, they'll tell you what they want you to talk about. Okay. Um, but usually if you're just doing a mainstream club, you, you're on your own. They've, they've usually seen your material and they like you and that's why they've asked you to come and perform. I see, I see. Yeah, so maybe you can give us an example in terms of, if for example, g- uh, given that tonight is a Valentine's Day show and you must know what kind of audience you're getting, how, how you've sort of selected some jokes in terms of, I think this will work well and how you may have not selected some material because you don't think it's the right one. Yeah, so tonight I'll probably not do any of the Muslim jokes just because it doesn't really have anything to do with Valentine's Day. Mm. Um, and I'll just kind of talk about dating and how just meeting people in Orlando and the, the whole idea of relationships and kind of just talking. At the end of the day, I want to make people feel happy that it's Valentine's Day, right? And they're getting to spe- spend it with their special one. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to make a political statement tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So when you're on stage, what does that feel like? Oh my god, it's the best feeling in the world. It's like you're you're unstoppable. I mean, have you ever gone skydiving? No. <laughs> you're saying <laughs> okay. it's like skydiving. So, well, it's like okay, so in skydiving, when you jump out of the plane, when you jump out of the plane, the first ten seconds, I don't even know if it's ten seconds, it happens so fast. That's when you're free falling. And it's just it's that's the biggest rush of skydiving. And then after that you kinda they pull the parachute and then you kinda just like slowly come down back to earth and it's kind of boring because you're making small talk with the with the person strapped to you but that 10 seconds that you're free falling that's what it feels like to be on stage the entire time it's just it's just this complete rush where you're just up there and people are just laughing and roaring with laughter at your material and it just makes it feel like everything you've done until that point was all worth it it sounds amazing so i mean can you share maybe like some of the best moments you've had on stage the best moments I've had on stage. Um, I mean, I guess the best moments are like when I do competitions and I win them. I mean, that's a really great <laughs> feeling because you're you're up against the best comics in the city or state that you're competing in, and everyone's there to win and everyone's bringing their A game. And then when they say that you just won, you're just like, wow, everything I've done, all that hard work really paid off. People are appreciative of what I've what the material that I've written. Other great moments are just when you try out a new joke on stage for the first time and people laugh or when you get an applause break or when people come up to you after the show and they remember the material that you did or they, I mean, compliments are always the best thing, right? We're human beings. We love to get patted on the back and just so just anything in that sense just makes it all worth it. Yeah. 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 I mean, but I mean, I don't know, like from, I guess as someone who, I, who is also an introvert like I just cannot imagine how it must feel I mean of course like if, if everything is going down well it's an amazing feeling right because everyone is loving you for your work for your material they're liking you but at the same time like don't you feel extremely vulnerable and, and like how do you how do you get over that or, or be comfortable with that again that's the open mics I mean I definitely feel vulnerable but when you do the open mics enough times you kind of learn how to deal with that you kind of learn how to keep pushing through. I mean, I will say, for example, like I can do a mainstream room and be, be okay doing a mainstream room. But if you put me in an urban room, sometimes in an urban room, I will crash and bomb. And what I've learned from that is you just have to keep practicing at it. You just have to keep going out there and you have to keep doing it. And if you just stop doing it, then you're never going to make it. But if you really, really want to, if you really want something, you're going to keep going out there and you're going to keep trying to do it. Even if you do feel like 
oh my God, I go home and cry every night and they're so mean to me and nobody laughed and like <laughs> nobody said good job to me after the show and I just wasted three hours of my life. I mean, those are all, all the downsides. But at the end of the day, when you finally learn how to kill in an urban room, it makes all the difference because that just means you've accomplished something else on your on your career path of being a stand-up comic. Yeah. Uh, actually, for, for people who might not be familiar, can you describe what is a mainstream room and an urban room? Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. So yeah. a mainstream room is just like a it's like an improv or a helium or a uh, comedy studio. It's one of those clubs that you just find in the city um, that everyone goes to. It's you'll see all types of people there, all races, ethnicities, age groups, demographics. Mm-hmm. A urban room is a it's more of a room focused on the African-American population. So you'll find them in cities like Atlanta, Philadelphia, D.C., New York. And most of the time when you go there, you'll see like, you'll see black comics. So like Kevin Hart started out in an urban room and those rooms are really difficult because they expect more from you in terms of entertainment aspect and they can sense fear. And so if you walk up on stage and they sense fear from you, they will eat you alive Um, and not, not literally, but like they will (laughs) stop paying attention to you or they will huckle you. Um, and they will make the next five, 10 minutes that you're on stage very difficult. And so it's a very, it's a, it's a hard room to, especially if you're not an African, if you're not African American, it's definitely a harder room to kind of conquer, right. but it definitely makes you a stronger comic. That, that is so interesting. So, oh man, I think I, I had no idea. I just know that when I do urban rooms, it is stressful <laughs> and it makes me kind of want to pee in my pants a little bit, <laughs> but it's definitely something I want to learn how to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Till I understand the, the great moments, right? And of course, like that must be just the, one of the best feelings in the world. Have you ever, or maybe people you know, does it happen that you receive a bad review? So not not just people sort of walking up to you and saying something bad, like, or may, maybe that is the case. Like, have you ever received a bad review? And if yes, how do you cope up with it? <laughs> so <clears throat> I have, and it's funny, I got asked to do a private show and it was all South Asians and they really wanted me to come and perform for them. And I was kind of hesitant because I was like, you know, sometimes I feel like your own people can be the most judgmental about mm-hmm. the work you do. And so I was very hesitant about that. But I also was hesitant because I knew that I'm not I'm not a clean comic. I don't keep it kosher per se. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't think that they would be appreciative of all my humor because it was going to be all age groups. But they were really adamant that I come and do it. And so I, I went there. I went to Atlanta. I did the private show and I bombed and people there was people were laughing, but they were like the younger people, like the 20s and 30s. But right. the 40s, 50s and 60s and above were not laughing at all. And some guy tweeted and he had like 20,000 followers and he tweeted, she shouldn't call herself the funny brown girl. She's just a brown girl. And oh, that man. really yeah. hurt, especially because yeah. I was like, you were in the audience. You could have come and talked to me to my face, but yet you tweeted it out to all your followers about me. Yeah. Um, so that definitely hurt. So, I mean, you always get these different types of groups that want you to perform and you have to learn to deal with it. And so it hurts, but at the same time, you learn from it. Like now I know I'm not going to book those shows in the future. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my God, yeah. Again, man, I, th- I think this job requires a, a lot of thick skin. Really does. Or, mm-hmm. or you just... Oh, it- you just don't care maybe I guess oh I do it bothers me but it's like I can't dwell on it because I have another show coming up to focus on right 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 all right so how do you measure the success of someone in this field well I think that's that's all relative just depending on what the person's goals are so 
I mean, someone's success could be, I want to work every weekend. I want to make sure I have a show every weekend. Other people's success is, I want to be on TV, or I want to be on SNL, or I want to be on Conan. Some people want to be headliners. Some people want to have their own TV show. So I think every person has to set their own goals in terms of what success means to them. Yeah. And I guess, so I guess it's more about where you want to be and working towards it. Okay. Exactly. I mean, I know people who are just happy if, happy going to open mics every night that's success to them like did they get on stage seven nights this week yes they did so they're successful so it's it's how you perceive your how you perceive your own goals right right and is there something like um so i i I mean to the extent that you're comfortable talking about this generally when you're working as a stand-up comedian what does it mean financially speaking and how does that evolve as you spend more and more time and establish yourself more and more in this field so starting off, you're going to be poor. That's why a lot of stand-up comics have side jobs because that's the only way they can afford to sort of pay their bills and take care of their families. It is hard to make a lot of money doing comedy if you're just starting off, for sure. I mean, you have to get to the levels of uh, Louis C.K., Amy Schumer, Kevin Hart to be really bringing in the big bucks. Um, I'm not saying that it's not possible. I definitely know comics who do this full-time and they work every weekend they're on the road every day. Um, they live out of their cars. They travel the United States, and they're financially sound. They're making it happen. Um, and then there's comics like me who I do have my full-time job because while I do make money doing comedy, it's it's not enough for me to survive on based on my lifestyle. So mm-hmm. everyone has a different standard of living. My standard of living is I have to pay my student loans. I have to pay for my mortgage. I want to be able to make sure I have food on the table and a roof over my head, so I keep my full-time job. Right, 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 right. I mean, you don't have to share your personal distinct, but could you give us a range? Like, a typical gig, how much would a typical gig pay you? Sure, so there's different pay structures depending if you're working for a club or if you're doing a private show. So I'll talk about if you're working for a club. Um, if you're working for a club, there's three different pay structures. You can either be the, the host, the feature, the headliner. Um, so depending on which level you're at, your pay depends on that. So the host is who starts off the show, does about 15 minutes, and then brings up the feature and the headliner. Uh, the host can get paid anywhere from $25 to $100 a show. Okay. Then there's the feature who does about 30 minutes, and they get paid anywhere from $75 to $150. Okay. And then the headliner does about an hour worth of material, and they can get paid anywhere from $150 to $500. It just depends oh, nice. on how much the club is willing to pay. If you're doing a, a show where you kind of like buy out the club, you can also do a door deal where you get paid a portion of how many tickets are sold. If you're doing a private show, you set your own prices. So if I'm doing a private show tonight and I'm doing 15 minutes, I get to set the price and I'll set a price anywhere between 150 and $300, just depending on how far is the venue from my house, how many people are going to be there? How much are they selling tickets for? Do I have to write any new material for the gig, et cetera, et cetera? So it's it's again it's a it's a business, and so you have to know what you're worth and what's your right. brand. What is your brand worth? Right. And just for the people who may not be familiar, headlines are basically the main comics for that show, right? Exactly. Yep. They're the big names on the show. Right. They're the ones who are bringing in a lot of the people into the seats. Got it. Got it. And. To the extent that you might be familiar with this, like, how do people like Kevin Hart and Amy Schumer get to that level of fame? 
I'm not too familiar with Amy Schumer's journey. I know Amy's been doing it for a really long time. I think, if I'm not mistaken, she started to perform in 2004, and then she got on Last Comic Standing, and she was on there in 2012. So, I mean, if you can imagine, that journey took her to get from starting comedy to getting to Last Comic Standing, and that's where she became sort of a household name. And then in 2015, she had Trainwreck, and so now you're seeing her kind of becoming more of a household name, but it took, what, 10 years to get to that level? Right. I know with Kevin Hart, sort of the same story. He was living in Philly, and he would take the train up to New York, or not even the train, he might have driven, I'm not sure, but he went to New York City almost every night to perform, and he would make that commute back and forth, and he started to win all these competitions, and he sort of made his name, he got his name out there, and then from there, he kind of, he made himself a successful household name. And if you see, Kevin Hart is actually really good at making his name a brand. I mean, he is a brand at this point. He's got his own Nike shoes. He's got his own movie line. I mean, he's doing great things. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, I guess the point is that you have to work extremely, extremely hard for a very, very long period of time. Yes, it's a very, you have to hustle. Definitely have to hustle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, Are there right now any countries or regions which are just more... Uh, amenable to comedy stand-up comedy uh, I would I don't, I'm not sure about countries because I, I don't really follow like the different followings but I definitely know like if you're in the United States the best places are definitely New York LA Boston hmm. um, if you're trying to do improv as well Chicago I know Atlanta is starting to have a really big scene as well so those are definitely probably the best cities to be living in I see so if, if you are a stand or if you're looking to sort of try this field out it's better to be better to move to these cities or at least be close to these cities exactly okay okay so all right so can you describe a typical day for us as a comedian like what do you do i'm guessing you spend a whole bunch of time on writing material but uh, whatever comes to your mind for a typical day sure so i mean i have a full-time job so that takes up most of my time but if i was not working full-time i'd say a good portion of my time would definitely be writing after every, I tape every show, I videotape every show, so I would spend time watching the videotapes and kind of analyzing uh, word structure and how the material flowed and did it make right. sense and what did my facial right. expressions look like and my stage presence. So really just analyzing past shows. Oh, um, going yeah. to open mics takes a lot, t- lot of time. I mean, that's three or four hours out of your night right there. I like to watch a lot of comedy too, so I definitely like to watch like the Netflix specials and kind of just learn from season comics to see yeah. what are they doing that I should be working on yeah 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 you know when you said about you talked about sort of um, looking at your own past performances and analyzing just how you were delivering your jokes and your material and all that it, it made me think of you know tell me what you think about it so like as a comedian there's of course the material that you're presenting and that is probably a big part of your overall performance but do you think that your your physical look, like does does that have anything to do with how well the audience receives you? That's a really good question. I've actually I've been having that conversation with a lot of people lately because a lot of people have come to me and said that as a female comic, my look makes more of a difference than if I was a male comic. Mm. Um, I don't I don't really understand that because I'm not in the audience, but I've been told that as a female comic, when I take the stage. I'm already battling a lot of stereotypes in the sense of, okay, how am I dressed? How does my body shape look? How's my hair? 
do the men find me attractive? Do the women find me intimidating, et cetera, et cetera. So there's definitely that coming into play. Again, I can't speak to it because I'm not in the audience, but I have been told like, I've had male comics be like, oh, don't wear that shirt on stage because it's um, not suggestive enough or don't wear those jeans on stage. They're too loose, like be more form fitting. So definitely like I guess some people are more into appearances than others, but I kind of just wear what I feel comfortable wearing on stage and move on. Oh man, yeah, because that's just like a whole different aspect of this whole because at the end of the day, you are performing live on stage, right? So people are seeing you as well as of course listening to what you have to say so yeah Mm -hmm. okay yeah i guess from what i've been told is before they listen to what i have to say they're already they've already made like 20 or 30 different judgments (laughs) on me oh yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) but yeah i mean i definitely like i definitely go to the gym as much as i can because i know for me i definitely want to look i want to look good on stage not not because i'm pretentious in that sense but like when I watch my own videos like I don't want to be looking at myself being like oh wow I look like a fat blob on stage so (laughs) no I know but but I can imagine right I mean you can get conscious about your appearance I mean no matter how good you look it's very easy to get conscious when you're standing in front of so many people Mm -hmm. Uh, exactly yeah. yeah 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 So, and I I think you talked about this, but you do, when you're writing your content and figuring out what will work well, most of this seems to be happening by yourself. Like you're not really working with other people. Um, Yeah. So I I do have a group of uh, guys that I sometimes meet up with. Um, Mm -hmm. They meet up once a week to write. And so occasionally I'll go and meet up with them and throw ideas around. But most of my writing I do by myself. Right. I mean, do you have right now any sort of comics that you look up to uh people whose style of comedy you really like i would say chris rock is definitely up there um i love how he just speaks his mind dave chappelle dave chappelle you can give him a mic and he can go on for hours just talking and like it's not scripted at all but he's just funny like his perspective on the world is just so interesting i'd say louis ck again He's a comic who took him almost 15 years to get to the level that he's at right now. But he's just hilarious because, again, he just speaks his mind. He talks about the ignorance in the world today. And it's just funny. He's oh, my. Just, he's so funny. Yeah. He, he's gotten to that point where whatever he says is just funny. Yeah, Louis C.K. is really good. I mean, I, I think Spotify has done this interesting thing. You actually can listen to various comedy tracks on Spotify. So I yeah, we have that playing in our car many, many times. And I really like Louis C.K. and Kevin Hart. But anyway, so like as a comedian, what are the kind of sort of small day-to-day kind of problems that you might run into, which may not be so obvious to someone who has no idea about what a comedian does? Um, I'd say, I, so here are some problems I'm facing right now, I guess. Like you never know when a show is going to get canceled. So you can, you can be banking on that money or that show and all of a sudden it gets canceled. And it's not like a doctor's office where if you, can't, if you don't cancel within 24 hours that you still have to pay them. So I've had shows been canceled an hour before showtime, and that's it. I'm out of the. Oh I'm God. out of that money for the night. I'm out of a show for that night. Clubs close down mm-hmm. all the time, and so you're stru- you're stuck not having any shows for a period of time until you can go and find some more places to get shows booked. And that you sucks. Can, yeah, I mean, so they can just cancel any time, like literally an hour before the show, even if you've traveled all the way to come for that show. Yeah, I've had shows been canceled last minute. They didn't sell enough tickets. The marketer, the promoter just didn't do a good enough job promoting the show, which is why it's so important to have contracts. Always have a contract signed and get at least 50% paid up front so that at least if you make the journey, you're not out of pocket the whole amount. Right, 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 right. 
and of course i i guess the more established you are the more leverage you'll have in these kind of conversations um yes and no i mean people will always try to take advantage of anyone i mean it's just like the real world hmm. mm-hmm. okay okay and um I mean, I, I know right now you really don't have any work-life balance because you have your day job and you all, then, then you do this to the extent that you can. But uh, generally speaking, as a comedian, how how intense can, can life be just from the point of view of how hard you're working? Oh, I think it's it, it depends on, on what your schedule looks like. So, I mean, if you're living in New York or L.A., I mean, you're just you're living in New York and L.A. and you're running to open mics constantly so i know in new york you can do four or five shows in a night so people are just going from club to club to club to get on stage i have road comic friends that live out of their cars so they do shows wednesdays through sundays but then monday and tuesday it's like they need to go and find they need to reach out to bookers and promoters and find more shows for the coming weeks because they depend on that salary so i I definitely think it can be a stressful business again because if you're living off of the salary of a stand-up comic and you go a whole weekend without being booked, that could be a thousand dollars right there. And so, mm-hmm. how do you how do you find that thousand dollars somewhere else to pay for your mortgage or your car payment or gas or sleeping arrangements? And so, right. it's definitely a stressful stressful job. Right, 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 right. I mean, as a comedian, are there any significant expenditures that you need to make, investments that you need to make, which help you? For sure. So definitely invest in a good car that has good mileage because you will spend a lot of time in it. Okay. Um, you also, if you get booked to do a show, a lot of times they'll give you a salary, but you have to pay for your own flights. So finding cheap flights is also really important um, and being able to book those and having money in your account before that check might hit to book those flights is also important. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, at your level, for example, on a monthly basis, how much are you spending just on your on your comedy stuff? Oh, uh, um, I would say in gas itself, I probably spend like $200 in gas a month. Okay. And that's not including like, I'm not taking into account mileage. When I get to the gigs, the amount of money I spend on food. Um, There's been times when I've traveled, I've driven out three hours and then I realize I'm too tired to drive home. So I have to get a hotel room. So that's right. like 50, 60 bucks right there. Right. So I'd say all in all, probably like two, 200, $250 a month. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. Oh man. And, and I, I can't even imagine how you're managing this with a day job because you're also going for acting classes, right? And that that's to help you with your stage performance. Yeah. So I'm definitely, I'm taking acting classes because I definitely want to be ready in case I ever get that opportunity to be on SNL or to be on a TV show, a comedy show or something. Um, So I definitely want to have that skill set under my belt. It also helps with comedy too. I mean, I've been able to deliver my jokes in a different, in a different way now because I know how to sort of bring in more emotion when I deliver the joke. But I will say like, if you're passionate about something, the stress goes away. I mean, everything seems to work itself out if you're, if you're passionate about something. No, I, I mean, I don't think, I mean, the people who are going to be willing to do all of this are people who are like intensely passionate about this, because otherwise it's just impossible to keep up. But in your opinion, what do you think are the most interesting aspects of working as a stand-up comic? Oh, I love, I just love meeting new people. I mean, it's fascinating that the comics that you meet when you're on the road, the audience members that you meet on the road, I mean, you get to see so many different places that you you just you you end up in these small cities sometimes and sometimes you end up in these big cities that you didn't even know existed and it's just a whole different way of living i think the best part about 
comedy though is how much you learn about yourself. I mean, I've definitely learned that I am sensitive. I've learned I'm an introvert. I've learned that if I'm going to make it in this game, I need to develop thicker skin. I need to be able to muster up the energy after shows to shake hands with people and take pictures and smile and do what's needed of me to make my brand stronger. Yeah. Um, and so you just you definitely learn how to be more introspective of yourself. Yeah. I guess that's needed also for just your material, right? Because the more true you are to yourself, the the, the better your jokes will be. Oh, no, definitely. I mean, that's you'll hear a lot of times in comedy, they say, find your voice or find your character. And that's why it takes people so long to make it to the top, like Louis C.K., Amy Schumer, because it takes so long to be vulnerable and to be open about yourself and talk about the truth. And that's what they mean by finding your voice, just being open with the audience, because they can also sense when you're lying to them. And so you have to make sure you're always, you're telling them the truth and you're being open about who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, right now, like, can you share... I guess what I'm trying to ask is that as a comedian, what is it that drives you? Like, what is, I mean, I know you love this, but is there something that, what is that moment that you live for that, hey, you know what, I, I, I see a lot of value in just doing this over and over and over again, like 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. What is that thing that's driving you? Wow, that's a deep question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, the reason I'm asking is that, and it's okay, because I, I, I completely understand. I mean, so many of us, I guess 90% of us go through all of our lives without knowing what is it that's driving us. But I mean, right now, like, what are, what are those things which, which are so exhilarating? I mean, I guess it could be something as simple as just that moment on stage when everyone just loves your material. And that's fine. Uh, but yeah, you... I mean, no, it's, it's a great question, because it's funny, my dad asked me the same thing. I mean, Again, like I said, my parents are your immig- your typical immigrant parents. They're like, you should be focusing on your career and go back and get your doctorate. And why are you wasting time on this? And half the time you're not getting paid. So why are you, why do you do this? And I think at the end of the day, it's my answer is like a lot of people go to the gym every day. They meditate. They do yoga. For me, this is my meditation. This is what makes me calm. This is what makes me sane. This helps me put life into perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't hurt that I... I love it and that I love being on stage and I love people laughing and I love meeting new people. Um, So when I take all of that and put it together, I mean, it's just, it's just a feeling that I can't describe. Like it just makes you want to get out of bed in the morning. It's, and I think it's that, it's that sense of passion. It's like when you find what you want to do and what you're put on this earth to do and you find what that is and you realize you're good at it, you just want to keep doing it. Yeah. I know that sounds like really Deepak Chopra, no, but no, it, I, I think, think that's what it is to me. It's yeah. I love it so much that I can't stop doing it. Yeah, yeah. No, I th- that's a great answer. <laughs> and I think that is that is the case for for so many people who have been going at it for so long. It's just they just can't imagine not doing it. It's probably as simple as that. Um, but are there any aspects that you find particularly challenging? Um, I'd say challenging. I, I mean, like like I said, writing material can be challenging. I mean, there are days or weeks that I'm so stressed out at work or I'm dealing with personal issues and my mind's just not creative. It's just not working. And that can get challenging because you, you always want to keep writing and you always want to bring new material on stage. But sometimes you're just life takes over and you just can't get to that point. So for me, that's probably the most challenging aspect. Right. Yeah, and also I guess you got. Like, how often do you refresh your material? Um, I would love. This is what I would love to do. I would love to have like a new 
five minutes every month of pure polished material that makes people laugh. Unfortunately, I get a new five minutes maybe every two months just because of the slow process it takes me to find that time to carve out to write. Right, 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 right. Yeah, because I would imagine because that, that's also something that would play at the back of your mind at some point, right? Like you don't want to be repeating the same jokes for a long period of time because then it'll be like, oh, I've, I've heard Shireen say that before. So you have to re- <laughs> Well, you know, it's, some, it's funny. A lot of people do. A lot of people write their 25 minutes or their hour and they'll keep doing that same material. They'll keep honing it. They'll keep tightening it. And they'll just make sure it's ready so that if they ever have to tape a DVD special or a Netflix special or they have it ready to go. And you don't have to worry too much about people hearing your material again and again because there's so many clubs that you're working that it's a slim chance that the same person will see you. But again, if your material is funny and they see you again, they should still laugh the second time or the third time. But it's definitely true. Like if you're just working the same room every night, then yes, you would definitely need to write new material because then people would get bored. Right, 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 right. And then are are there any aspects about this field that you just do not like? That I do not like? Hmm. I guess I would say the late hours I don't like. Mm -hmm. I mean... Tonight, I won't get home until probably midnight, and I have an 8 a.m. call tomorrow at work that I have to be in the office for. So in the back of my head, I'm already kind of stressed out, like, oh, my God, when am I going to sleep tonight? Um, So that that part sometimes sucks, but I love what I do, and so I'm not going to let – I'm going to power through the four or five hours of sleep that I do get just because I'm lucky enough that I did get to perform tonight. Yeah. Yeah, actually, you know, that, that brings up a good point. I think, as as we discussed it, many artists, when they're early on in their careers, they might be juggling multiple jobs just before they can focus completely on their art. So you right now have a very, very nice job at Walt Disney, and I would imagine it comes with, with its whole its own set of sort of stressful moments and all that. So, of course, you've become an expert at managing your time and all of that stress, but how have you managed the uh, the messaging at work? Like, I'm guessing they all know that you're doing this. So has, has that been an issue at all? I wouldn't say it's become an issue. I mean, they are aware that I do it. I don't, I don't keep them fully informed about my entire <laughs> schedule and what I'm doing. So yeah. I definitely try to be professional at work at the sense like I make it to, t- I get to work on time. If I need to leave early, I let my manager know like there's this thing happening that I need to leave early for, but any work that I didn't finish, I will get it done at night. So just being open in communication with them about it um, and not hiding it, I think has helped me. I did hide it when I first started doing comedy because I didn't want anyone to know. But I feel like it's just easier to let them know because then they they realize that you're not 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 finishing your work because you don't want to. You're not finishing it because you had somewhere else to be and their understanding of that. Right, 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 right. Okay, okay. Generally speaking, have you found that uh, stand-up comics, especially when you're early on in your career, are there any common mistakes that people tend to make? I think a lot of people just want to make it too quickly. They don't realize that it's a slow process. It's going to take time. So you're going to have to put in the hours. You're going to have to put in the hours to write, go to open mics, drive to gigs hours, two hours, three hours away, and really just pay your dues. Mm -hmm. And you either might make it or you might not make it. I mean, there's no golden rule. Like you, you can do everything right and you might never make it. But that's just, that's the dice that you have to throw and make, and hope for the best. I mean, and people just get frustrated, I think. And you just have to realize it's going to be a frustrating process. But if you really, really want it, you'll you'll put in the time and effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, 
this is just going back to the the whole branding promoting thing right because i i i guess one is sort of the material which i think is still within your control it's it's probably the hardest part but it's completely within your control and as long as you're willing to work hard you'll probably come up with something but the the sort of creating your brand is such an ephemeral thing right like i mean who knows how a brand gets built so like what are sort of the channels that you found very effective one is clearly open mics and uh, that seems to be a big part of uh, for, for at least a comedian anything else that's helpful to build your brand yeah i'd say social media i mean social media is taking over how you can get your name out there i mean you can make videos you can make vines you can make little clips on instagram you can post memes I mean, there's so much on social media going on right now that you can you can build your brand on social media. Uh, so, so, are you active on anything right now? I'm active on Instagram. Um, I'm Funny Brown Girl, yeah. and you can find me on Twitter and Facebook too. I'm not making videos and memes and stuff as much as I could be. I would love to get into that more, start my own YouTube channel. But right now, with my small amount of time that I do have, I'd rather just be on stage performing. So, uh, in your opinion, uh, what kind of person do you think would really enjoy himself or herself in this field? Oh, that's a hard question. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's if you have that burning passion in your heart to try it, if you've ever watched a stand-up com- comic or a show or a Netflix special and you said to yourself, I want to try that, mm-hmm. then I would say, do it. Go out and try it. I mean, we all have only one life to live. I mean, you never know. You might love it. You might not like it, but at least you'll never have that. You'll never be able to say to yourself, I didn't try it. And now I have that regret. Right, 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 right. Let's say someone is at that stage where they sort of, you know, they look at some Netflix special or they listen to your podcast and they say, I think this sounds interesting. I want to try this out. How do you recommend they nurture their talent? I would say the first thing is start writing down all the funny ideas you have. Start crafting your five minutes. Start putting together the, start putting together your five minute set that you want to try. Start going to open mics. Start meeting people. Start talking to them. Start trying to understand what is the business about. What is comedy about? Listen to people telling jokes. Understand the joke structure, stage presence, likability factor, and then go and do it. I mean, the best way to know if you really, really are going to enjoy this or not is get on stage and try it out and see how it made you feel. I mean, if you got so nervous and petrified, maybe it's not for you. But if you think that that's a skill that you can overcome, then keep getting back on stage and keep trying it. And then one day it'll click. Yep. All right. So I, I guess the, the, the advice here is to just go out and give it a shot. Yes, I would definitely say, I mean, you're never going to know. You're never going to know sitting at home if it's this is for you or not. You need to get out there and actually go and start doing it. It's just like going to the gym. I mean, you're not going to lose weight sitting on your couch watching the exercise videos. You actually yeah. need to go to the gym and try it and see yeah. if you can do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is there a way for someone to figure out if they're funny? I mean, of course, you can go to an open mic. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, um, I mean, again, social media, right? Social media is a great way to know if you're funny and you can hide behind a mask. <laughs> you can set up you can set up a fake name on Twitter or Instagram and you can start tweeting stuff out and you will be able to tell right away if you're funny or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And generally the model of working for a comedian, I mean, right now what you've described, it's it's a very entrepreneurial way, right? Like it's, it's literally a business for you and you're going out there and getting all of these gigs. Can you also get a job maybe? No idea at all. Just asking as a layman, can you get a job as a comedian? 
like a job meaning a, a paid job where you're consistently yeah. getting work exactly like some sort of a full-time job does that, does that even exist I mean in a sense it does I mean you can get you can become the house MC at a club so a lot of clubs will have like a a person who starts off every show and that person is paid so you can be the house MC so you're getting to do comedy and you're getting paid you can work cruise lines cruise ships that's uh-huh. in a way a full-time job because you're on the ship doing shows so you can do that I see that's I mean you can if you get a TV gig or something then you're getting to do it full-time and you're getting paid yeah. for it yeah yeah I mean yeah that that's a different thing altogether but okay so, and I and I guess the way you get found for these sort of cruise line gigs or whatever is through these open mic sort of things like just being out there so that people can see your material and then if anyone is interested they'll reach out to you Yes. Well, and I think, and also cruise ships, like you can apply to work at cruise ships too. Like you just need to find out who's the entertainment director and then you submit to them and they'll review your material and decide if they want to hire you or not. Oh, I see. So you, you have to apply with sort of maybe like a video clip of your performance. Exactly. Okay, mm-hmm. got yep. it. Got it, got it. All right, Shireen, this is extremely, extremely helpful. Very, very informative and, and engaging and funny. So anything, anything that you think we haven't covered Anything that you'd like to say? Um, I'd say if you if you definitely want to try doing stand-up comedy, there's a couple good books out there. Um, oh, yeah, the one cool. book that really helped me kind of understand joke structure, because I had, I, like I said, I had no idea what comedy was or stand-up comedy was. Um, there's a book, it's called The Comedy Bible by Judy Carter. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good book to just start reading and try to understand what is an open mic and how do I prepare for an open mic and how do I start writing material and where do I start from? She covers all that stuff. And other than that, I would say just get out there and start start going to shows. Start seeing what what is it about it? What is it about comedy that excites you? And then go do it. No, oh, that's that's brilliant advice. Really, really helpful. <laughs> it's not brilliant, I think, but it's <laughs> no, but I mean, okay, maybe brilliant is the wrong word, but like, <laughs> but it is it is probably the most uh, the most relevant advice, I guess, because so many people just sort of. Like, what would you say to the people who are right now in your position? They're they're not in your position exactly, but they're in a full-time job. Maybe they have families. They don't really have the time, but they have this burning desire to do it. How would you help them sort of get over the, the, the you know, the questions that come into a lot of people's heads is like, you know, what, what if people laugh at me? And what if I just completely bomb? Like, what would you tell them? I'd say jump. I'd say you just, you got to jump and you got to do it. You can't have these what ifs. I mean... Our whole life is what ifs, right? Like, what if I get fired? What if I can't make my mortgage payment? What if I get in a car accident? I mean, you never know what's going to happen until you go and do it. And if you're really nervous that you might not be funny, I mean, other than reading the book, a lot of cities have classes. You can take a stand-up comedy class. Mm. Um, Usually they're about eight weeks to 12 weeks long. And you'll work with other comics and people who will help you write your material and develop you and kind of tell you firsthand if you're funny or not. And so if you need that extra confidence, go ahead, take a class. I took a class. I got started reading the comedy Bible and taking a class. And that really helped me get my, my feet wet because you get on stage, you're performing in front of people you trust and they tell you whether you're funny or not. Yeah, to your face. Sorry, dude. Yes, you know I mean? exactly. Yeah. I mean, they're not mean about it, but you'll you'll see like no one's laughing and you'll know, okay, that joke didn't work. So yeah. before I go out there into the public and embarrass yeah. myself, I know that joke doesn't work. So I might as well try to rewrite it now. Right. 
Yeah. No, no, no. That I think that's good advice. Okay. All right. So yeah, definitely take a class. I mean, I didn't mention that, but yeah, I took a class and it was it was great because I met other people. I met other people who wanted to be comics, so we started going to comic like comedy shows together. Um, we bounced ideas off of each other. Those are still like some of my really good friends. So mm. I would definitely suggest a class if you. And I, I mean, they're not they're not cheap. They're about they can range in price from a hundred dollars to three hundred dollars. But if you're serious about it, I would definitely yeah. suggest it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, Shireen. This was great. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Take care. Bye bye. And uh, all the best for your show tonight. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah. Take care. Bye. So that was Shireen with a great account of what it's like to work as a stand-up comedian. and what happens behind the scenes especially when you're relatively early on in your career i hope you found today's episode helpful if you have any questions for shireen or for me you can email us at learneducatediscover@gmail.com you can also tweet at us our twitter handle is @led_curator show notes from today's episode will be posted to our blog You can find our blog at medium.com forward slash at led underscore curator. And of course, if you are enjoying what we are doing and if you find our discussions helpful, you can subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on either of iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher. Simply search for Learn, Educate, Discover and you'll find us and then you can hit subscribe. We're also available on Facebook now. So you can like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash learn educate discover and then you'll get regular updates on all the great content that we are producing for you guys so that's it for today thank you so much for listening stay tuned for next one until then bye bye